Hello and welcome to another episode of the Villa Talks podcast, another episode of the Pre-Match Social. I'm back with the boys, I'm back with AJ and Carl this week. Sam couldn't make it, unfortunately. He's been uh, hounded off his Twitter and off social media, apparently, because he's uh, he's gone public and he, that he's Smith out. So um, he's, he's no longer welcome on the pod. Isn't that right, boys? <laughs> yeah, yeah. For now. Well, depends on depends on the next three important games, doesn't it? Apparently, apparently so. Well, there, there, there's definitely been a there's definitely been a mood change amongst the fans. I think, uh, well, some fans anyway, with the recent bad run of results. So we'll talk we'll talk about that. Obviously, um, see what the boys think. Uh, obviously, a big game coming up on Saturday night against Everton. Uh, yet to be the other fixture. I think is yet to be rearranged. I'm not sure what they're waiting for. But but this is a big game, uh, two games against them, and you know win those two games and potentially you can move up the table quite quickly. Uh, so we'll be talking about that. AJ will be back with his with his stats, obviously talking about Everton games of the past, how they've played uh, this year, their style, playing style, uh, a little bit on Emmy Martinez as well. So that should be interesting. We'll talk a little bit about the um, FA Youth Cup and and the victory for the for the Aston Villa kids, uh, impressive victory. Um, and talk about Aston Villa women's team as well. The, the late, well, devastating draw really against Birmingham City, a local derby. Um, and obviously a few other bits of news. We've got the Aston Villa financial results that have been released and uh, Matt Targa's just signed a new contract as well. So we'll be covering all of that. So a lot to cover in this pod. Uh, we'll try and keep it as short and sweet as possible. Uh, probably best place to start is, let's talk about, let's talk about the Aston Villa youth uh, team. Uh, the under-18s, the FA Youth Cup. Uh, I watched the game, I know Carl did. Um, AJ, I think, did you watch the game or see any of the, any of the highlights? Uh, I've watched the highlight. I've watched the highlights, yeah, I didn't watch the game. Impressive victory against uh, a good a good Newcastle side. Um, let's, let's, you know, they didn't, they didn't look it against Aston Villa, who were bang on form, but it is a decent Newcastle side, which uh, is even more impressive uh, in terms of how Villa performed. Carney, Chukwemeka, especially, standing out. Carl, what did you make of the game overall and, and, and the sort of the standout players for you? Um, oh, I was really, really impressed with them. Um, it was great to see a Villa team, <clears throat> albeit you know, a youth team, just playing the way that they were. The, the high press, the energy, but just how much better our players looked to the opposition. It was nice supporting a team like that. Um, Chukwemeka is, I don't know if I pronounced that right. I might, um, I'll, I might just say oh, Chuk. Bang on. Um, I think it was bang, bang on, I think. Ooh. Just call him Carney. Okay, excellent. Yeah, I'll call him Carney. Um, but he is brilliant. Um, and, you know, I've discussed, I immediately see a young player and I go, get him in the team, get him in the team. But he does, and, I mean, and he, and he still makes mistakes because he's so young um, and 17-year-olds always make um, mistakes. Um, but... He's just, he seems like, he seems to have it all, that everything you'd want from a midfield player, he's got it. Um, he's, he just looked, he looked like a man playing against a bunch of kids. Um, the way he just, he demands the ball and just controls the whole match. It just, and you can see everything goes through him. Um, <clears throat> I was just, I, I just thought he, he was, he was excellent. And I, I don't know whether I put it on our WhatsApp thread, but I, um, says that he's, probably the best Villa kid at his age that I've seen. Um, someone on another thread asked me if that includes Jack Grealish, um, but I got out of that by saying I don't think I saw much of him as a 17-year-old, really. Um, but he, he's excellent. And 
you know, um, Barry's great. But what what the, the thing is, is that I would love to see a sprinkling of the kids in the team between now and the end of the season. Um, I can understand why there's a reluctance. Um, they're still, you know, they are still full of mistakes, even at youth level. Um, but it can't, it can't hurt. It can't hurt to have more of them on the bench um, and just um, just throw them in. I I mean, you know, Chukwemeka is not going to do any worse than Barclays. No, no. Well, that's going to be my next question for AJ. Um, we've talked about Barkley. We've talked about his effectiveness or lack thereof um, in the team. What, what's your thoughts on, you know, it's obviously what Dean Smith said about Barkley. Potentially we're, not, we're not going to sign him permanently. There's not, there's not much to play for now in terms of Europe or relegation. Would you would you start bedding in the youngsters now? Would you be looking to play Chuck Wameka, Kesler, etc. in the team or get him involved in the squad? I know they've been involved in squads before, but would you would like to see them getting a bit of action? Uh, yes and no. I think Kessler, I think we've talked about this on the on the previous pod, you know, in games, if cash is missing, I, I'd have been playing him. You know, you guys as well on the review show after the game rightly highlighted that it wasn't Elmo's best performance and, you know, even his crossing, which uh, has kind of been the one thing that he, he's still been very good at uh, when he's come into the team, uh, was a little bit lacking. Um uh, in the last game as well, so I I, I think that that makes sense. Um, just because we don't have a, a stronger option, Chuck will make a. You know, I agree with everything Carl said from what I saw of the highlights. He just looks like a sensational player, but I think I feel like if he was if he was doing that in the under twenty threes, then he's making a better case to go straight into the into the team. Doing it in the under 18s, you know, it's still hugely impressive. It's still his own age level, but it's such a big step up from the under 18s to the Premier League. But I certainly would like to see him on the on the bench. And you know, if we're throwing players on uh, late in the game uh, to to see if they can uh, just do something, uh, then it, you know, I, I don't see any harm in the position we're in in the season in uh, in doing in doing that. But yeah, I think it's probably too soon. Um, for him to be, for us to be talking about him starting games uh, realistically, and I'd hate for him to sort of get thrown in and uh, have a have a bad game and have his confidence knocked in the in the long term. Although he obviously seems like a very confident uh, confident lad. I suppose the one other side of it is, um, you know, there have been a, a number of articles circulating around um, some of the big teams coming after him. There's a lot of comparisons to people like Bellingham, who you know moved to Germany and, and go straight into big first teams at, um, let's face it, clubs that are probably a bit more elite than us uh, at this stage in our development. So you can see uh, an argument for playing him on the basis of um, reassuring him that first team football is is around the corner, uh, because we certainly wouldn't want to lose a, a talent like uh, like that. But I think there's enough going on in the positive direction of the club that we should be able to persuade those players to to stay anyway. Yeah, yeah, it is. You know, it's a, it's a good thing when your players are linked with some of the biggest clubs in, in the world, uh, especially younger players. It means you're doing things in the right way. And we, I mean, let's be honest, we've, we've struggled with our with our youth players of late, um, last 10 years or so, apart from Grealish. You know, there's not been many that have, have struck out. 
you know, before we had the likes of Old Brighton, Barry Bannan, Luke Moore, Stefan Moore, you know, these type Darius Russell, these types of players have come through, Lee Hendry, et cetera. But over the last 10 years, there's been, there's been a real lack of talent coming through. Um, and, you know, a lot of young players from Villa, uh, Villa's Academy have gone on to, you know, make good professional careers for themselves in lower leagues, but not many of them stake to claim at the, at the top, top level. So great to see, and hopefully they do make an impact. And, you know, there's obviously a lot of work going on behind the scenes, a lot of investment going on behind the scenes and into the academy system. So, you know, it'll take a few years for that to for see us the fruits, fruits of the labour, but it's it's bodes well for the future and it's, it's quite exciting. And, you know, there's a number of players there. You know, we've talked about Chuck Wameko, talked about Louis Barry, who's obviously made a name for himself already against Liverpool in the FA Cup, but Kessler obviously is one, but there's likes of Bogard, who's a really exciting player, really good player, looks physically ready for adult football. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see how we go about uh, developing these players and, and bringing them into first-team football, whether we bring them straight in a la sort of Phil Foden, whether they go out and loan a la Mason Mount, which is, you know, probably the two different ways that you can go about it. But Jack Grealish, uh, you know, going to Notts County, I think he was 17 at the time or 18 at the time when he went to Notts County and, and made a name for himself there. So, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. But, you know, exciting times, definitely, and, and a really good performance, really exciting performance. And AJ, you know, you're spot on. These, these these kids have struggled a little bit under 23s compared to under 18s because obviously it is it's a little bit of a step up but you know we'll, we'll see what happens we'll, we'll we'll sort of we'll keep uh, an eye on their progress and hopefully they do make a, an impact on the first team and, and obviously that will help the owners as well in terms of they're building a squad because it means they have to spend less if they, they're able to breathe their own you know like, you know look at Jack Reish and how much he would cost to buy and, and if we do sell him you know we're going to get 100 million pounds plus for him which is which is massive. Um, which brings me on to the the next point, which is the Aston Villa financial results and, and obviously FFP, et cetera, which is sort of dying a, a slow death now, I think. Um, but really, uh, financial results have well, illustrated and highlighted the impact of COVID and also the impact of the owners and what they've done to the club and how much money they've pumped in. So uh, no no debt, which is important, I think. You know, the, the owners have pumped in all their own money. Um, not, not like what the Glazers have done at Man United, where they've... Uh, you know they've used loans and, and paying themselves a, a massive dividend and and reaping the rewards of of leveraging Man United to the hilt, which is probably why the likes of European Super League have been talked about and why why it's been such an important priority for the likes of these big clubs like Barcelona, Real Madrid, and Man United. Um, but but still, quite eye watering figures. You know, Aston Villa they announced a financial loss of ninety nine point two million pounds for last season's COVID hit campaign, uh, which is staggering really amount of losses. I think the amount of money that we've spent over the last 10 years is sort of 450 odd million pounds, which is, you know, it's, it's crazy to think about over the last 10 years, which has been a really decade, decade of decline as we, as we called it before on this pod. Um, is, I mean, Carl, is there a worry that, you know, we've, we've talked about the, the gap between the top six and us trying to attain to that level and the amount of investment that we're going to need. Is there a worry that, Eventually, the billionaire owners that we've got, who have obviously been amazing, are going to think actually it's yeah, you know, the, the Premier League is just a it's just a great way to lose money, and and they're eventually they pull the plug and we we'll struggle again a bit like we did on the learner. Or do, do you think there's a more there's more thought going into this, and they understand what's involved? Well, I mean, there's always a worry. Uh, there's always a worry in in that regard. Is uh, they could easily they could up sticks tomorrow. They could decide it's not for them tomorrow, but. Um, they're never they're never going to be able to just pump money into Villa and reach 
the levels of Man City, Man U. They can't. That's not. That's not the way that we're going to be able to start competing with those teams. We've got to. Comp- we've got to compete by changing the whole infrastructure and and and. You know, we've just been speaking about the the youth team. That that seems when you hear Perslow uh, talk, that seems to be the way they want to go. That, and if you had a look, if you have a look at all the young players we brought in brought in um, before this season, we were going and trying to get the best young players around. And it's clear that that's a way. That's the way they see the future going. Whether it works or not um, remains to be seen. But you know. And, and me saying they can't just pump money in, they've pumped in a hell of a lot of money. And, you know, we, we, we're going to need to do that just for the immediate future. We've got to keep um, investing like that just to just to stay in the league or, you know, to, to start competing towards the European um, places. Yeah, I'm worried about it. I don't, you know, I don't I don't struggle to sleep at night worrying about it because, um, depressingly enough, there's there's lots of billionaires in the world. Um, so, you know, there's there's always someone who has a big enough ego to think they can do it. But I do think they're excellent uh, owners. Well, what I've seen from them so far. However, I, I would say I thought the same about um, Lerner until he lost the plot. Um, but you know, they, um, you know, the the um, the way they run um, the. The businesses they already have, um, particularly the um, the books. Is it the books? It's yeah. the books, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, it's quite a similar um, sporting team to to Villa in in many ways, and um, that's run very well. He's managing to keep a superstar there, like he's trying to do the same with Grealish. Um, so I'm I'm hopeful um, with slight trepidation, I suppose. Yeah, I think that has to be the way out. You know, we talked about this on the pod before um, when the European Super League was was happening, and there was um, a post by I think it was Project B Six. We were trying to get uh, fundraising for a banner for the owners uh, with sort of the tagline "Saviors" on there, and I just didn't sit easy with me. I think you know, I think you have to be really careful. We've we've been burnt before, and you know, Lerner had Cleveland Browns, and you know, yes, he was. They were really poorly managed, so I suppose that gave you a bit of an indication. Whereas obviously Milwaukee Bucks have been really well managed, but. Still, you just don't know what's going to happen in the future, um, how these owners are going to be, what they're thinking about the Premier League going to be, what's going to happen to the Premier League in terms of broadcasting rights, how COVID is going to impact fan, you know, fees, agent fees, wages, etc. There's a lot to change. And, you know, there's definitely, a, I think there's a potential for, for the Premier League to go the other way in terms of finances and and how money is spent, etc. But <clears throat> your your thoughts, AJ, on, on the owners, but also... I'd be interested to hear your thoughts around, you know, they've spent 230 odd million pounds the last couple of seasons. Um, eventually they're going to, there's going to be a case where we're going to have to sell players, uh, not to finance future deals, but just to even up the finances. And obviously that's what we're looking to do with some of these players. Do you expect that to happen? And how do you expect us to cope with that? Yeah. I, I've mentioned before, one of the things about our net spend uh, in the last couple of years has been it's all been expenditure because you know we came up and with a load of 30 year old or, or older players who are out of contract um uh, some of them better servants to the club than others but they were all off the books uh you know we had essentially a squad of 11 or 12 players i, I think uh and some of the players we spent a lot of money on like mings and el Ghazi, are sort of players we'd had on on loan that we were making permanent and so on. Whereas now we're in a position where 
um, as we strengthen the squad, uh, we've also got some saleable assets uh, and therefore that net, net spend, even if we're still going out and signing a couple of relatively high profile players that cost us uh, a bit more money, you know, I wouldn't be surprised at all if we break our transfer record again uh, in the in the summer. Um, but you can see players going out the other way and offsetting that a little a little bit, you know, like Horahan's probably gonna gonna leave. Uh, how much money would we would we get for him? Uh, not loads, but some. Whereas you know, previously we've had a lot of dead wood that we've been desperate to get off the books. And, and don't forget some of the sort of big money signings, your Ross McCormacks and people like that, who in recent years have cost us a fortune, and uh, we've had to pretty much shove out the door to to get rid of you know Scott Hogan's those those kind of guys I mean just those two guys between them cost us pretty much 30 million 30 million quid in fees and then there's all their wages on top of that as well I feel like we're in a much better place now in terms of the structure of the club in order to sign the right players I do think we've got very good owners but you're both right to be a bit cautious about saying that but all of the signs so far have been hugely positive um you know uh, they're not loading debt on the club. Like even you know, Chelsea own technically owe Abramovich one point four billion pounds, I think. So, you know, uh, he's certainly made them successful, but he's kind of got a safety net if he ever has to leave that he's going to get all that money back. Um, so, uh, I, yeah, I think we're in a very strong position. I think we're doing the right things in terms of who we are signing, but equally, if we're going to progress, I think we're going to have to have a fairly hefty net spend over the next few windows uh, as well if we are serious about getting into into Europe uh, and in a strange way if the covid crisis leads to a substantial relaxing of financial fair play rules that could actually benefit us uh, a, a little bit um because some of the teams around us that we're competing with uh, to get into Europe um are probably going to have less spending power than than we've got with the owners that we have. Uh, yeah, no, you're you're completely right, and and I think that was the case the, the summer gone. You know, there was definitely rumours or murmurings that, that the owners were looking to take advantage of what happened with COVID and and sort of outspend teams in and around us, which sort of did happen. And again, I think that might happen this summer as well. I think they're going to go big again. They have to really. I think you know it's uh, it's not you know you're building a whole new Premier League squad to compete for Europe. It's not going to just happen in two or three windows. It's going to take a bit of time. Um, and, and hopefully the Smith is the man to oversee that as well. I'll be I'll be um, interested to see what happens with Grealish as well. I think um, whether someone is willing to pay the money for him, I guess we'll see a lot of teams, not just Villa, have been hit by the pandemic in terms of revenues. Um, there was a massive Premier League rebate with the TV revenue as well, which made a massive impact on all, all teams. But potentially, you know, there is there is that there as well, potentially, which will bring money in as well and how we reinvest that potentially. I, I don't like to think about it, but it could happen. If there's a release clause or anything, apparently there's not, but you, you never know what's in a contract. We didn't know Fabian Delph had a release clause, did we? So you never know, you never know. So exciting, exciting summer and interesting summer ahead anyway. And um, yes, you know, we lost a lot of money, but I think there's still support there from the owners and, and there's definitely a plan then. Hopefully, hopefully we get to see that plan come to fruition. Uh, let's let's move on then. Uh, before we go into the Everton game, just a quick note: uh, Aston Villa women's team. Um, I, I watched some of the match um, the other day against Birmingham City and a bit of the Bristol City match as well. Both 
both games they uh, they drew, but to to late equalisers and, and quite devastating equalisers, especially the Birmingham City one, where I mean a bit a bit of their own doing really. The, the team they sort of tried to play in the corner flag for twenty minutes of the, of the second half towards the end. I'm not really sure what they were doing and uh, trying to see a one out one out uh, one nil win out, but they probably should have two or three penalties and, and the referee managed to find six minutes of added time from from nowhere really and um, even the free kick that Birmingham City took was about 10 yards away from where the actual handball I think it was handball that that took place so devastating for the for the women's team but they're still out of the relegation zone. well I say relegation zone there's only one team that goes down I think but still all to play for Bristol City are struggling I think there's two games left so it's not something we've covered too much on the pod um, but it's something we'd like to cover um, if we can so hopefully we'll get a couple of guests on in the future to talk about the, the women's team we'll probably spend more time than, than us watching it but hopefully they stay up it's a, definitely a, a team in the embryonic stages of their development and a league that's in the embryonic stages of the development as well there's some really good teams in there and you can see the massive difference between the teams at the top and teams at the bottom but you know Villa obviously again a bit like what we're doing with the youth academy and, and the first team you know spending a lot of money or, or investing a lot of money in the youth in the, in the women's team as well buying players that, yeah, that's another positive thing about the owners, I think. I mean, for a long time, our women's team has been pretty neglected and not uh, spent any time or effort in terms of, or, or finances in terms of trying to develop that. And it, it's been very clear since the new owners came in that they're taking it a lot more seriously. And, uh, you know, I think that's certainly the right thing, the right thing to do, you know. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, it's it's a grown sport, isn't it? Well, grow, when I say grown sport, I mean football. I mean women's football. Uh, you know, you, Asia was making the point before the pod. You know, before when you used to watch women's football, it was uh, uh, the FA Cup final on BBC, and that was probably the only match anyone watched. But whereas now, Bells. Doncaster Bells, is that true? Yeah, Man City and Doncaster Bells are probably the two better teams that have been in over that period. But um, yeah, it's gone BT Sport. You obviously had the the recent World Cup. Which which was quite popular and and it's definitely a growing spectacle. So something Villa are looking to cash in on as well. Um, so we'll, we'll cover that. Hopefully they 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 survive. A couple of games left. Like I said, it's going to be tough for them. They're, they're struggling a little bit. He could have done with a win in either of those games and, and pull away from the pack. But I think there's still enough in there to to get those get those points that they need to to stay up. But let's move on to the the Everton game. Uh, we've talked about the summer already but before that obviously we've got I think seven games left uh, of the season um, still you know not, well not much to play for but still there's that faint glimmer of hope that you could push for for top eight potentially if you especially if you beat Everton twice AJ as always we'll go to you when it comes to the, the match preview and, and get some of the some of the stats around around Everton and how they've done this season and how they stack up against Villa what, what are your thoughts on them? Yeah, they're an int- they're an interesting one when you uh, look at some of their stats. Um, actually, I mean, if we just start with their recent form, as we as we usually do, um, they are unbeaten in their last four games, but three of those four have been uh, draws. Um, and beyond that, they've only only won one of their last six, which was their most uh, their most recent uh, game. But sort of beyond that, going back across the the season, I think. A lot of where they are is the kind is is to do with and obviously they've got some very good players. They've got a strong squad, uh, probably a little bit stronger than ours, but I wouldn't say massively. Um, 
But I think part of the reason they are where they are is the kind of smarts and nous of Ancelotti of, as a really experienced um, coach. Because if you look at the kind of underlying form, uh, which we've done for a few clubs, where you look at the expected goals for and, and against uh, and how they've done on that uh, across the season, across the whole season, they've got a negative uh, expected goal difference there. Uh, um, them and Leeds are the only teams in the top half to be in that situation, and actually ours is is positive. So, you know, according to the theory, we we should be slightly uh, better placed uh, than those teams in terms of uh, in terms of goal difference. Um, and throughout the season, that's pretty much been that's pretty much been the case that they've been expected to concede more goals uh, than they've been expected to to score. But they've managed to wring uh, results out of quite a few of those those games. Uh, if you look at um, on Twitter, there's an account called XG Philosophy, and they they share the XG before and after the uh, half time and, and at the end of the game for every game. But they also do something called accept, expected points, uh, which is looking at where you would expect a team to be um, given their XG performance in terms of points uh, achieved, and then they compare that to their um, expected points. And uh, Everton are seven points better off than where you would expect them to be based on their um, their XG. We're about more or less exactly where you'd expect them to be. The biggest difference is, is Brighton, who are absolutely miles behind where you would uh, expect them to be um, just because they haven't got any strikers who can score, basically. Um, but I, I think, really, I mean, there, there can be a lot of things behind that sort of thing. There could be some good fortune behind it and so on. But I think a lot of that is uh, Ancelotti's ability to adjust his team uh, against uh, different types of opposition, to tweak it during games. You know, effectively, some of the things we have concerns around Smith's ability to do, Ancelotti has got all of the uh, experience um, to do that. Interestingly, if you look at that sort of trend of XG for and, for and against that we've looked at for some of the um, other clubs, uh, across that sort of unbeaten four-game or five-game period, um, uh, most recent period, they have been trending up, particularly on their expected goals for. And across their last five games, they're actually um, would it have expected to score 1.6 on average and concede 1.1. So it's it's pretty much the first time since right at the beginning of the season where, if you remember, they had a really strong uh, start, a bit like we did, where I think they also won four games, uh, four games in a row at the start of the season. It's the first time since that sort of spell and and, and the first sort of seven or eight games for them that they've had a consistent enough uh, positive um, uh, xG performance to uh, for it to go positive on that five game rolling average that we. Uh, that we look at. So across the last 10 games or so, they've really been uh, improving, particularly uh, creatively. They've been creating uh, a little bit more. So I guess the kind of underlying form has not been great, but they've got some good players who can do things that turn games for them. They've got a very strong coach and it might be uh, that this is not the ideal time to play them because some of that underlying form uh, is improving. as well, uh, just very briefly on the head-to-head, which is always interesting to look at, but doesn't necessarily have the biggest bearing on the on the game. Our last five games against them in the Premier League are pretty evenly split. So we've won two, uh, lost two, and uh, drawn um, one. But if you look at a slightly bigger period, we've only won two in the last ten against them in the league. 
But also, if you look at it all time, um, obviously, it's one of the most played games in uh, Top Flight history. Um, and it's very close. So we have won 81 times. We've drawn 59 times and we've lost 82 times. Oh, fuck so it we just need to win this weekend to draw level. And if we can win both of the remaining fixtures, uh, then we'll be ahead on the uh, on the all time. So, uh, you know, bra- bragging rights at stake for uh, the uh, all time uh, record against Everton. All, all to play for on the uh, kazoo derby, isn't it? Um as, as, as it's been labelled. Yeah, uh, yeah, the Kazoo. Kazoo derby. Yeah, well, Kazoo were obviously very happy at the beginning of the season because obviously Villa were second, Everton were first and uh, they were getting a lot of publicity on the back of it as well. Uh, but yeah, obviously a historic fixture, one of the old, like you say, one of the most played fixtures in, in, in league football and uh, two teams of obviously very similar kind of traditions and backgrounds and I think there's a, there's a bit of mutual respect there between the teams, although I say that I'm not a massive fan of the Everton fans at home because they do tend to moan a lot and, and, and appeal for every single thing in the world. So I think they've missed those fans. I, th- I, do, I do think, and correct me if I'm wrong, I do think they've struggled a little bit more at home compared to away from home this season. I may be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's what I read. Um, so like I said, we're not playing playing them at a good time because they seem to be in form and, and we are obviously out of form. Uh your your thoughts, Carl, on the fixture itself, and 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 some interesting points that AJ made, especially around Ancelotti. We've talked uh, off air on, on Twitter. We had a bit of debate about which managers we would have, as, apart from Smith, if Smith was to go. Not to say we want Smith out or anything. It was just to see, actually, what, you know, is there apart from Sam who does apart from Sam who does obviously, and, and obviously Ancelotti is one of those coaches. Is obviously an f- amazing coach, uh, great career, and, and you know, obviously one of the best coaches in, in world football. Do you, do you think there's a there's like something that Villa might do in the future? Maybe look to get an experienced coach like that just to take us on to the next level. Um, and, and and then after that, obviously, just a little bit about the the Everton game itself and how you expect it to go. Um, I don't know. I suppose. Uh, I mean, there's. It depends. I don't. I don't know. I don't know a lot about the philosophy of um, the our owners and um, and which way they'd go with regards to that. I suppose you have two options, don't you? You have someone young and up and coming or a very experienced coach. Um, you don't want anyone in the middle who's shit and, but like 50 idea. Um, I don't know. I, I, I do like Angelotti. I, I, I would, I don't, I, I said when you put that um, debate um, out on Twitter, I said, Ancelotti would be maybe someone I'd take over Smith. Um, Sam pulled me up on that. Um, says just maybe. Um, he hadn't even put him in his list himself. He didn't even choose him as a possible. But anyway, that's by the by. Um, I, 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 I don't know. I, I, it depends. It, I think would I want? I think I'd prefer someone who's gonna, who's gonna start something here rather than have a. I mean, you know. Uh, having a Mourinho turn up would uh, it put me off? It put me off. Someone who who is bigger than the club, whichever club he join, joins. And I, you know, Ancelotti's not that by any stretch. He's a very very good coach. And I think he's a good fit for Everton. Um, I suppose my my preference would be. Um, I don't know. There must be some other good uh, young Germans out there that we can we can just get and just immediately makes us much better. 
That would that would be nice. Um, the thing, though, whether, whether, whether they'll be better than than Dean Smith as well. Oh, know, I was just going to say, I'm yeah. I'm still fully in the uh, Dean Smith in in camp, um, unlike Sam. Um, but <laughs> m- I feel like we're, m- we're, we're we're rinsing Sam here, but he deserves, there is, there is, there is, he deserves it. He deserves it. Um, Sam, if you're listening, we're not, we're not, but there, there's definitely um, no, we are. a minority, <laughs> there's definitely a minority of fans, I think, of the fan base who are slightly turning, turning the other way and, and, and yeah, and I'm, I'm rinsing them all, me. they can all, Rinsing. they can, they can all piss off from, as, as far as I'm concerned. Every single, every yeah, single one I don't of think, them. I don't think as a, I don't think as a pod we're sort of, uh, Dean Smith at all costs by by any means, and we've been critical of uh, a number of things he's done this season. You know his lack of changes, his inflexibility, those sorts of things. But I just think he's achieved every objective he's been given so far. So uh, now is now is not the time. Almost regardless of what happens between now and the end of the uh, the end of the season, um, you know if things if the poor form drags on into next season, then. You know, fair enough. Let's let's talk about it. But I think he deserves another another summer. But um, yeah, sorry, we've got we've got off track now. We were talking about Everton. Yeah, well, I mean, my thoughts on the Everton game is um, strangely, I'm more confident about this game than I was the West Brom game. Um, I'm not sure why that is. Um, I feel, um, I suppose, we're playing a team where I suppose. At the moment, without Jack in our team, they're expected to to win. Um, I thought, I mean, you know, I would play, I would play Keenan Davis. I'd start him without question on Saturday. He's got his goal finally, um, and he's always looked like he mixes it up. So if now you can catch him whilst he's actually able to put it in the net, get him in there, play Watkins on the wing. You can kind of switch them up during games as well. Not that. Keenan Davis is anything like a winger, but you you could he's quick. You could still you know if you want if you see a moment to um, just switch him up and get Watkins down the middle, just get Davis on to bash their defenders about a bit, and then um, Watkins can just just pile through them with his with his pace. I I I don't I just want Jack to be back if I'm if I'm honest, and I don't want to keep talking about him. But if Jack was in the team. Um, I'd really fancy our chances, but but then um, I, I still I don't know. I have a I have a funny feeling we might win by a massive margin, but I'll I'll let you know that in our in um, our prediction later. <laughs> now that that is a surprise. That is a surprise. You're thinking that I think uh, wasn't something I was expecting you to say. But I guess we'll wait. We'll wait and see. We'll wait and see what your prediction is. Um, AJ, your your thoughts on on Keenan Davis um, and whether he he's it's the time for him to start a game, whether he's better coming off the bench, as we've seen, uh, you know, the impact he can have off the bench. And, and also just generally how you would line up, whether, you know, Barkley had a decent game last time out against West Brom. Would you look to change it up? Would you look to change up formation, personnel? How, how would you approach it? Well, look, I think, um, you know, you guys talked about it on the pod, um, uh, on the review pod. Actually, attacking-wise, um, was one of our best games uh, without Jack. Uh, I think it was our fifth. When I looked it up, I think it was our fifth best XG generated of the season. Um, so uh, whether and and again, as you guys pointed out, the the goals that we gave away were 
a result of individual errors. I'm not sure I agree with the guys that it was really Ming's fault, uh, but uh, for, <laughs> for that one goal, but uh, that, that's that's for you guys to debate on the on the review show. It's not my department, but um, the... I love that we got we got different departments. Have we? Are we uh, got different yeah, roles? It seems like it. you don't yeah. cross, cross, yeah. cross over. Yeah, it seems we seem to have turned into gangs as well. So, uh, so yeah, I, 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 to be honest, I don't think there's too much we need to change, but we have been so poor for so long. I, I, and again, we're not in a situation where we've got anything to lose. Uh, I, I would change it. And look, he's only played the equivalent of about two and a half games if you add up all of his minutes, Keenan Davis. But he's now, if you look at his stats per 90, one of our most productive players of the of the season i think you know i think he might be second after jack on um on goals um goal creating actions per 90 or, or something like that but obviously that's a very wobbly stat because he's played so few so few games and he's not really started um but yeah i i definitely think uh i would start him if we don't start him and the game's not going well he's got to come on earlier he's got to be given you know half an hour not 15 minutes um and, uh, you know, the, the other thing uh, that, again, you guys talked about on the pod, which I, I agree with, is um, we probably should start thinking about what different formations we could be we could be playing. For example, what I was saying about Ancelotti, I, I was looking at the style of play like I normally do. And if you ask me to tell you how they're going to line up, I'd have to say they've got, I've got no idea. Because if you look at the last 10 games, they've played four at the back three um, uh um, four times and three at the back six times out of those ten out of those ten games. If you believe the way um, uh, they lay out the the formations on, uh, on on some of the stat sites, which which aren't always entirely accurate versus watching it yourself in the game, across that period they've played a three four two three one. They've played a three five two. They've kind of played a three four one two. They've played a three five one one. So you know. Uh, Everton under Ancelotti have the ability to mix up their formation uh, uh, against different uh, against different teams, and, and we don't we don't have that. And I, I can see that a three five two could potentially work for us. You know, you bring House in, uh, who's let nobody down. I think Conza would be absolutely exceptional as a spare defender in a, as the kind of middle spare defender in a in a three. Um, you know, push on uh, target and and cash. Uh, strengthen that midfield three uh, and gives you the opportunity to get two proper strikers in the side. So I'm not saying do that at the weekend. I'm not saying um, uh, I'm not saying I think Smith will do it. But does it look like a formation that could work for us? Yeah. So when we've been struggling, you know, these are the sort of things we should be should be trying. But you know, I, I think I'd probably agree with Carl that what I would do um, is uh, is get Davis in the side. Why not? Um, play him on the left and I probably would keep Barkley in I think it was probably his best game since his injury um again I, I looked at a few stats uh for Barkley um and defensively he, even though we know he's poor defensively his defensive stats are absolutely atrocious like literally bottom two percent of attacking midfielders in terms of tackles made bottom one percent of attacking midfielders in terms of attacking tackles made in the attacking third you know, very low stats on pressing. I think he was bottom fifteen percent of attacking midfielders in terms of the number of presses he's uh, he, he's he's put in per ninety as well. This is not absolute numbers, but actually, his creative numbers are, are not bad, and he's actually been let down a little bit if you look at his creative numbers because his expected assists are about three and a half, and he's got one assist. 
So, you know, he's created chances for other people that haven't necessarily been uh, taken. Uh, and alongside that, you know, his shot-creating actions are, are very high. Some of that is because he's taking mad shots himself from the edge of, edge of the box that he probably shouldn't be taking. But still, um, yes, he's been a very frustrating player. And I was kind of thinking about this. I think the thing with Barkley is when you see him play at his best, he's he's got such a high level of ability that he's really frustrating that he delivers that so inconsistently. The opposite for me is like a player like Trezeguet, who you watch him and he's got very limited ability uh, in a lot of ways, but he puts in such a shift and often delivers performances that are significantly above like what you'd expect for his ability. And that sort of player you kind of love to to have in the have in the side. But actually, in terms of what they actually produce for, for the side creatively, there's probably not a huge amount to choose between between those players. It's just the perception is very different because you know there's so much more that could come from Barkley and he just delivers it on such an inconsistent an inconsistent basis. But yeah, I would I'd play him based on the way he played against us. Yeah, I mean I, I was I was surprised um, he, he started. I didn't expect him to start, but. I think it was a more of a pleasant surprise, really, because I, I was quite happy he started. Because I do think against West Brom, you know, like I said, lower quality opposition, you expect him to get more time on the ball to to create something and do something. And I thought he did did fairly well. It wasn't his best game by any stretch of the imagination, but it was a good game. And I think if Davis does play, I think what Davis does do well is he does bring the midfield into play um, and allows us to get higher up the pitch. Especially you see him at the edge of the box, holding off players and feeding off the midfield. And I think that's where someone someone like Barkley could thrive off in and around the box. That's his best best area for him. Um, but yeah, the, the worry is against a better quality opposition like Everton. You know, we've seen it before. You've mentioned it already. His defensive output. Um, you know, we we did try and play a pressing game early on in the season, and it worked well. We struggled because the likes of Barkley um, haven't done that part of their job really well and it's probably been left to Ollie Watkins to do that albeit I think if Davis does play obviously that's an area of strength for Davis as well we, we saw it against Fulham didn't we and the way he pressed their defenders and, and created that goal out of nothing really so I'll be interested to see I personally would 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 play Davis I'd go for a 4-2-3-1 with the Watkins on the right and Algarzi on the left again Algarzi I thought had a good game against West Brom but then maybe that's his you know he likes to play against West Brom so maybe he won't turn up against Everton but then again he scored against Everton last year didn't he so well, then, he, then again, he'd miss that sitter. Yeah. He missed that sitter yeah. against Everton and the, and the the reverse fixture. So, yeah, I don't know. But Algarzi played well, so you've got to reward that. Davis played well, you got to reward that. But I like to see Barkley, sort of a front four, Barkley, Davis, Watkins and Algarzi with McGinn and Louise behind them. Uh, I think that's the way we should go. Obviously, Cash will come back in, you imagine. I'd probably be more inclined to play Watkins on the left. I think that's more his natural, you know, he drifts out left a lot of the time. Uh Anyway, um, uh, and I would probably play Triori, but it's splitting hairs, really. I, you know, I, you could do, you could yeah. do that. Tri- Triori struggled a bit, hasn't he? Um, of, of late, um, although I thought we had good moments, good moments in the game, but overall his performance wasn't at the level that we've seen from him before. No, and I think part of that is he's so one-footed, and teams have figured that out. And I think especially in games when Cash doesn't play and he doesn't have that overlap, it's very easy for teams to double up on him. And you know he's going to know the the fullback will just show him inside, and then the wide midfielder it will just have doubled up, and he's got nowhere to go effectively. If you've got cash overlapping uh, rather than um, Elmo, uh, then 
he's he's got that opportunity to to drag the the, the other defender away, and then um, he's got more chance of uh, of beating people even when he comes inside. But again, you guys mentioned it on the on the review pod a couple of times recently. He has gone on his right, and he's done he's done okay. You know, he um, he created one, and he um, he hit the post, didn't he? I think on his right on his right foot um, the other day. So um, yeah, I think. Uh, Perhaps he should just have a little bit more confidence to go on his right sometimes, even if it's just a few times now and then, just so it's not so predictable um, for the defensive team to, to keep him out. I was just going to say, I, I think his one-footedness is a bit more in his mind than it actually is in a physical yeah. sense. Because um, <clears throat> actually, I mean, we can argue whether that volley was a uh, attempted cross or a lovely um controlled volley into the corner against uh was it against Bristol uh, City yeah. Bristol, Bristol City yeah. yeah but I, I've seen enough of him when he uses his right foot to say that actually he has a lot of control in it and he should trust it more and he's, the the only way he's going to be able to improve and in, in how dangerous he is in in attacks is if he uses it a bit more and as you say AJ he, he doesn't have to use it without saying you need to go get to the byline every time but if you show the defender that you've got that in your locker then they're not going to automatically assume you're going on to your left. Um, but he, he, I don't know. There's some. I don't know. He appears to be a bit um, sort of a mood player. Like you can kind of see what how he feels, and when he, he against West Brom, he, he didn't really appear like he was enjoying himself at all. And with, with players, you can't you can't usually tell, but with him, you only need to have a look at his face to see what sort of game you're going to get from him. Um, but I still like him. I still like him. And I think he's a very impactful player. But um, but yeah, he does need to improve. Um, he, he, he's a bit one-dimensional at the moment. Yeah, and I think I think what what we've seen with the with the Smith and the coaching team with Smith and the coaching team is. Um, how they improve players. So hopefully they work on him over the summer and, and, and get him, you know, a bit like, you know, how good Riyad Mahrez is because you, you never really know, you know, or he mostly goes on his left foot, but he has that ability to to go on his right foot. And, and I think that he needs a bit of bit that, that sort of element, which is AJ, what AJ was saying, that sort of unpredictability where he doesn't go on it all the time, but just now and again, just to surprise defenders, you know, so they're always thinking in their mind that he might do that. Um, and, and it makes it easier for him to, to get back on that left foot as well. But, you know, I think he's the type of player that you're right. He's a bit of confidence. If he does something good early on in the game, it normally means he's going to have a good game. He's that type, a bit like Algarzi. He's a very similar type of player. At the same time, I do think someone like Grealish in the team does help him a lot because they're they're sort of creative creatively on the same kind of wavelength, and they can do. They can both have a moment of magic, and they can both interlink quite well. So I think he's struggling with that, Jack, as as are most of the team, obviously. But uh, I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see what formation will play. Uh, also, just quickly, I wanted to. Before we go into Everton memories and, and talk about Matt Target, just quickly, uh, we've talked a little bit about formations and, and personnel, Ollie Watkins playing out, out wide. There's been a bit of a hot topic of debate on, on Twitter over the last week with rumours that Tammy Abraham's available for £40 million and, and Villa obviously linked. And I personally think Villa will, it's, it's definitely a player that Villa want and, and they'll go for him. Whether it's £40 million remains to be seen. I think that's probably £10 million too expensive in the current environment. But the rumours are we're looking to sign a striker. Um, AJ, your thoughts on what that, how that impacts Ollie Watkins? Um, you know, obviously he's our main striker. He's done really well this season. Been one of our best signings. Do you think there's there's potential for him to play either as a two or, or a wide? Is that, is that, would you like to see that? Would you like to see another striker come in? What were your thoughts on that? Well, um, on on Tammy specifically, look, he did a good job for us in the in the championship. He's done an 
okay job at Chelsea. He scores goals, but he misses some chances as well. I mean, I've I've been reading it again. How much do you believe what you read? That what what they want is a striker who can also play out wide to give us that flexibility. Obviously, that's not Tammy. He's a straightforward centre forward uh, uh, player. Um, he's pretty good at pens, so that that might not be a bad thing for us, given we do miss a few. Um, but uh, yeah, I think they'll be in for a forward. I think you know Watkins has played pretty much every minute this season, if not every minute in the league. I think. Um, so that that's unsustainable. So even if it's someone that's directly fighting him for a place uh, in the lineup, then um, uh, you know uh, that's not a bad that's not a bad thing. Uh, and I don't think Watkins would see it as a as a bad thing either. If it gives us that flexibility again to change formations, um, uh, then uh, I think that's a good that's a good thing too. So I think we'll definitely be in for a striker. All of the noises around the club seem to suggest that we will be. Whether whether it's Tammy or not, I don't know. Uh, I mean, my personal view is you know they're talking about forty million quid. I I, I would like to think we can dig up someone um, better for that sort of that sort of money. Uh, but I, I wouldn't be unhappy if we signed him. Uh, I think he will score goals in the Premier League. Uh, he's shown that he, he can do that for, for Chelsea. Uh, and, and, you know, the fact that he's got a bit of an attachment to the club is is no bad thing um, either. But he probably wouldn't be my first first choice. Yeah. I mean, personally, I said I, I, I can see... Watkins working out wide because I think he can play from any of those three wide positions. But as long as he's played as a wide forward, not as a winger, I think that if you play him as a winger or more of a left midfielder or right midfielder, then you're going to, you know, really um, dampen his ability. Uh, sorry, his his strength. Sorry, uh, on the game and and you know he's an amazing finisher most of the time. You know we looked at some of the stats before before the pod in terms of finishing, and he's way up there compared to someone like Patrick Bamford who's, who's way down there. Um, but I do think from a wide position, you look at Salah, Mane, players like that, and you know I think he can make an impact. He can still score goals and create. He's obviously created quite a few goals for us as well. Uh, I think he's was in most most uh, chances created from a forward. I think uh, in the league. Yeah, equal with equal with Harry Kane, Harry of course, Kane. who's top of every single list that you have for, for yeah. forwards. But um, but yeah, to be on that on that level in your first season in the in the Premier League. Is is pretty mad, really, and uh, he looks a snip at 28, 28 million so far. Well, who scored did a um, team of the season, which is I, I don't know how, what they base their stats on. I think it's doesn't. I think it's very high level sort of goals scored, goal chances created sort of thing. But um, Martinez, Watkins, and Grealish were all in in that team. Um, um, the kids will be angry because. Jack Grealish didn't make the FIFA team of the season. Oh, so. Let's not talk about that. That's the, that stuff. I love FIFA, but that stuff, that team of the season stuff and that ultimate FIFA. They're ultimate furious, stuff. Omar. They're I don't absolutely know what I don't furious. Know I tried to play it, but I don't get it. I just can't. I'm too old school. Bring me back Pro, Pro Evo 5, please. Thank you. Um, my views are pretty much exactly what AJ just said. I, I like Tammy a lot. Um, 40 million is too much for him. Um, I know it's not my money, but the point is, is that 40 million should be able to get you better. Um, but, you know, we, us looking for a forward who can also play out wide, that we could already have that forward and in Watkins and we actually look for a, a proper forward. I don't, I don't know. Um, it would be lovely if Wesley was g- going to come back and be brilliant, but 
you know, with this sort of injury that he had, it's the likelihood of that happening's not massive, unfortunately. Um, but you know, we've got Ken and Davis now scores a hat trick on Saturday. Ooh, yeah. Tammy who? Tammy who? Wait, wait, big Wes is back as well, obviously. Um, yeah, that was great to see. Yeah, no, it really was. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah no, it was. was. Great to see him. Sixteen tough sixteen months. You saw the emotion at the end of the game and Ming's hugging him as well. Um he's also a really attractive man. <laughs> is he now? Putting it out there. Yeah, big big ways back. Um good to see our hot or not scale increasing as well as, as uh do you remember hot or not? Do you remember that? Hot or not dot com. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. I do. Um yeah, it was a wonderful. Wonderful website. That's essentially just Tinder now, isn't it? But you actually meet up with them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. I uh, wonder if it still exists. I might, might check that out later. Um, d- don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why. How we can I just, that. can I just say here that I don't have Tinder and I I'm not meeting up with anyone. Just, just, <laughs> well, we let your missus know. I'm attached. I'm, you're attached. You are attached Sorry, ladies. to Wesley. He's attached to Wesley. Well, in many ways, yeah. Yeah. But no, good to see Wes, Wes Big Wes back. Um, he looked he looked all right, I thought. He looked quite decent um, for, for the brief two, three-minute cameo he was on for. But again, another option off the bench. I personally, we've talked about Abraham. I, I, I wouldn't mind seeing Abraham. I, I like him, but I think 40 minutes is too much. I could see it working. You know, that front three of Grealish, Watkins and Abraham could be a really good one. But like you said, Watkins probably functions better from the left. Um He's obviously done it at the championship level. Personally, there, I do think we need a bit more creativity in the team um, to sort of help Grealish out. And, and some good footballers as well can help us keep the ball better as well, rather than being so direct as, as we have been this season. But again, another big summer ahead. I keep saying it. It's, it seems like every summer is a big summer for Villa. It has been for the last however many years. Uh, but let's let's move on. Let's quickly just quick touch on Everton memories and then, then talk about quickly Target. Um, well, Everton memories then, lads. Uh, away games for Everton. You, either of you ever been to Goodison Park? Never been no, to Goodison. No. I've never been, actually. Um, we need to get our skates on because it's not going to be there much longer. No. I know, yeah. I actually had a ticket for the... Um, so my friend from uni, she she worked for Everton TV and she, she gave me a ticket for the famous away game when, when Ashley Young scored the winner and, and I couldn't go last minute. So I ended up watching it in London with a mate uh, in, in a in a pub full of Everton fans but I missed out on that that would have been a good one to go to obviously that's yeah. probably my my best memory of uh, of Everton well, game that game I was watching uh, in a social club in in Erdington of all places Hardy Spices Hardy Spices yeah repping yeah. Hardy Spices there um, it doesn't exist anymore knocked it down bit of a shithole um, but when um, Lescott scored his second he scored two in that game didn't yeah. they when yeah. he scored his second I was so furious at the equaliser. I went into the toilet and punched the toilet door. But as I punched the toilet door, I heard a chair. So I went running back in. And uh, so I missed Ashley Young's goal because I was too busy punching the toilet door. <laughs> always, have some, well, always have some interesting stories, don't you, Carl? Mm, yeah. 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 You're, you're a much calmer man these days, aren't you? Uh, I don't know. If, if, um, if an Everton player... I mean, I'm not going to punch my own toilet door. Have to have to pay to get it replaced for starters. But um, I'll. I'll, is, that, I'll is, be that, am- is that is that why they knocked down the uh, knocked down the? Place yeah, yeah it was unrepairable damage to the toilet door. <laughs> they had to just knock it down. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, I still get angry. Villa make me very angry at times, but I am a lot calmer. Um, like I get over it quicker these days. 
doesn't ruin my weekend anymore. It ruins a couple of hours and then I'm over it. Yeah, I'm the same. Yeah. Any any other memories for you, AJ? No, sorry. I've I've got an I've got, <laughs> you're, you are ter- you are terrible for this part of the show. You really are. I am Does, awful. Do you I'm ever listen to us? Let's go, men. I do. I do the other bits, like you know, I do the numbers. AJ, you're you the guys op- do yeah, the memories. The numbers, you're man. the opposite. On Athletico Mints, they've got. Um, Bob Mortimer has a character called Memory Man who just says yes whenever he's asked a question if he remembers something. He never explains what he remembers about it, but you're literally the opposite to Memory Man. <laughs> you're the opposite you're, to Bob Mortimer in you're many like, ways, uh, you're, like, you're like Guy Pearce from Memento. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, good one. Um, yeah. I have got another game. Um, one of my first ever games at Villa Park. 6-2, uh, 89, I think it was. Um, Platt, David Platt scored two Ian Olney scored two and if anyone uh, out there remembers my username on I say the out lonely. there I'm just talking to you so yeah Olney the Lonely um, yeah he scored two um, Kent Nielsen and I think Karen scored the other goal uh, 6-2 I think McGrath scored a, an own goal off his shin as well in that match but one of, one of my first ever games and the cameras were there I think it was on ITV live um but yeah, must have been good old days. eight, maybe, good old days. maybe nine. I remember um, watching um, a really dire game when it was raining. We had Gilles the Builder up front and Villa were really struggling. Ooh, who, Bob? Because we, Gilles the Builder, yeah. We, we signed him on loan from Sheffield Wednesday and he's playing up front. We had no strikers. Um, I think they were all injured. Um, and Paul Merson, out of nowhere, scored an amazing goal. From oh, I know, from well, like I know 40, yard, yeah. 40 yards yeah, out yeah. And, and sort of lobbed the keeper. And it was a terrible, terrible game. And I don't remember I was, anything about that game other than Merson's goal. I, I remember I remember it well. It was actually on, um, you can watch the full game on YouTube. Um, so I did, oh, I did, I didn't watch the whole game. It sounded like I'm going to rush to do it. Omar. No, I wouldn't. I, I sort of just skipped through the highlights a little bit, but it was, it was, yeah, as I remembered, it was a terrible game. And Gilles the Builder, as I remember, was awful that day. But um, I think, was that? Under Gregory, it must have been under Gregory. I think I'm pretty sure it was under Gregory, but yeah, that's the other memory. And obviously, last year that winning one nil, Conza scored, Agazi misses that chance, and then then Walcott scores that that goal, which sort of slowly crept in out of nothing really. And then you're thinking we're down after that game, and then we, we still managed to survive by beating Arsenal the next the next game in. Mm. But that all sticks in memory. But we've all, I think we've also had a, always had a decent performance against Everton I can't remember too many games where we've been battered uh, I think uh, Chris Sutton scoring a goal it's Petrov scoring and us drawing uh, numerous games when Agbon and Horn crew score we've drawn games uh, Benteke scoring we've drawn games so it seems to be a lot of draws at Everton I remember I can't remember that many 59 of them mate 59 of them exactly yeah so let's let's hope we uh, how many wins was it again we've had one, 81 what? for us 82. 81 for us 82 for them right. Come so on. let's uh, let's hope let's hope we get to 82 then I have always had a soft spot for Everton though um, but I do agree that their, their fans at home are the biggest moaners oh, um, around them. yeah so annoying but I had a, um, a season review of Everton one of my mate, uh, brother's mates was an Everton fan and he borrowed me a um, no he lent me a a season review. Um, I can't. I don't know what specific season it was, but Tony Carty and Kevin Sheedy was playing for them, and it, I loved it. I um, I literally could quote all the commentary from every game in there, so I could have turned into an Everton fan. Um, but but then I went I went to Villa Park and we smashed them six two. So <laughs> there you go, there you go. I remember the uh, the FA Cup final supporting them against Man United when uh, 
was it Daniel Amakachi uh, was playing for them? And uh, yeah. Paul Rydell, I think, was playing. And Rydell, like yeah. That. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. I, I liked Everton then. I was a big fan of that. Back when the FA Cup meant something as well. But let's not get onto that. Um, but yeah, big game. Let's let's quickly get your predictions then, and then we'll go quickly talk about Matt Target and we'll finish off the show. AJ, what are you thinking? I think it's going to be 1-0, but I can't decide which way around. All right. I think let's say we'll nick it one nil. One nil. Okay. I, I think we can win. I think I think I'm gonna go with one nil as well, AJ. I'm, I'm gonna go with that. I was thinking draw, but I do think there's a chance that we might we might nick a result. Carl? Twenty seven nil. Hey, there it is. I, I should get like a some sort of horn or something there whenever you say I that. still Claps reckon I reckon if we just did it on if you got two points for getting the score correct and one for the result, I still reckon I'd finish about mid table out of us like you use like a Crap at predictions. We never checked, do we? No, we should have done that. We should have done a leaderboard. Yeah, maybe never, next season. Next season we'll do that. Next, next season. season. Or yeah, match we'll me up it. against Lauro. I'll just say twenty-seven oh. nil for every single one. I guarantee you, I'll beat him. You would. I'm sure you would. I think Villa would be relegated if it was up to Lauro. Yeah, we'd be seven. We'd be seventeenth if we went on Lauro's prediction. Right. Um, goal scorers. Sorry, Carl. Twenty-seven nil. We have to ask you if your guys nearly spat his beer out. Um... Keenan Davies, all 27 of them. You said he was going to get a hat-trick earlier. Uh, okay. Keenan. So Keenan uh, Davies... Te- gets- he technically has got a hat-trick if he scores 27 goals. Right, right, yeah. yeah. No, 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 no. Let's do it properly. Keenan Davies scores a hat-trick. Uh, Ollie Watkins scores 23. And then a... Um, Seamus Coleman own goal. <laughs> yeah, always own goal. I thought he might say Daniel and Amakachi with all 27 own goals, but... I'm not sure what he's doing. Maybe we'll check that out next, for next pod, see where he's could at. Be, could be our new striker next season. Could be our new striker next season, yeah. Can he, can he play out wide? Not sure. Um, right, quickly, let's finish off. Matt Target, much deserved, new contract. Mr. Consistent, hashtag target trajectory, as we like to uh, talk about on the pod and, and his uh, his rise to to stardom in the team. You know, he's he's improved year, every week and he's, he's been so consistent this season. Um, do you think there's a chance, AJ, for him to to make the Euros? Now we've got 26 man squad potentially. Uh, I don't think he'll quite. I don't think he'll quite make it. Um, you know, Luke Shaw has been excellent this season. Ben Chilwell uh, is ahead of him as well. I think in the pecking order, I can't see them taking three left backs. If he was a right uh, back, he'd be straight in there. <laughs> well, we have got a lot of good right backs. Um, so yeah, and I still think um, uh, he's been he's been excellent. Unfortunately, the new contract news came out a bit late for me to pull together any stats on him. Uh, but we'll do that in a in a future pod maybe. Um, but he's certainly been excellent defensively, and he is good going forward. But I think you've got to say the likes of Shaw and Chilwell are um, a bit better than him uh, in the attacking uh, areas, and you know. Uh, you expect England to be pushing on against certainly in the group games, uh, most of the teams that we're we're playing against. So I think that attacking threat um, is more important. And also Southgate has been tending to play three at the back, uh, which again makes the attacking role for the fullback uh, far more uh, important than the defensive role. So I think just on that basis, you know, if you were picking who's the best actual defensive left back in a in a four four two. 
then uh, then he'd be right. He'd be right up there. But I think maybe that sort of quality going forward, there are probably options uh, uh, ahead of him. But fully deserving of a new contract and has been excellent for us this season. Bit, bit weird, weird to say that because uh, obviously last season it was the other way around. He was defensively a bit suspect, uh, especially his recovery pace and. Uh, matching up against the quicker wingers uh, and he was much better going forward especially linking up with Grealish whereas this 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 time round he's been fantastic defensively and hasn't really pushed on forward that that much although he's obviously chipped in with a couple of assists I think um, but against West Brom I thought Carl he was actually probably our best attacking player uh, which which you know we haven't really seen that much of him this season and then sort of the final third but he was really getting up and down a lot in that game yeah yeah I agree um, I I actually think if we was if you was removing Grealish from player of the season, he'd be one of the three candidates easily. I mean, Martinez, Concer and um, Target for me um, have been, other than Grealish, our best players. And I, I know I've just completely ignored Watkins there, but I, I think, I think to, you were talking earlier about how Smith improves players. There's no better example to a, how he improves a player than, than Target. He... There used to be a time when I'd be like, oh, targets playing when when our other option was Neil Taylor, like. But he's it's night and day to how he is now. I I I genuinely think he's brilliant. And when when he's link, how he links up with Jack as well, um, it, it's uh, it's just such a dangerous avenue for us when they're both in the team. Um, but you know. Without him, I do think, I thought he was great. And I thought he was, everything that was dangerous about us was coming down the left-hand side with, with Target against West Brom. I, I, I really like uh, Target. Um, yeah, I, I, I do think he's good. And, and I'm, I'm glad he's got a contract extension. Mm-hmm, yeah. Just briefly, seeing as we're talking about left-backs, um, we need to look out for Lucas Dina uh, yeah. at the quality, weekend. Quality player, he, yeah. He has been exceptional this season. Uh, he's got six assists from left back, which was one of the best returns for a fullback in the league. His crossing is exceptional. His set pieces are very good, uh, and he's also really strong uh, defensively as as well. So when I was looking at key players for Everton, obviously your Calvert Lewins and your Rodriguez and those guys come come up, but but he stands out as well as a really exceptional uh, a set, exceptional player for them. And actually, Omar. That might be an argument for Watkins on the right because maybe that will occupy him a little bit more defensively, and he, he won't be able to get get forward so so much. But yeah, he's definitely one for us to look out for uh, at the weekend because he's been really exceptional for them yeah, as well. A good point. Good point. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Um, Lucas Dina, definitely best left back in the league for me. Um, everything that everything good from everything comes down that left hand side for him. He's crossing into Calvert-Lewin, especially has been key for them this season hasn't it um but yeah uh, they've also played godfrey on the left back position as well i've seen a few times so yeah he's he's been quite good there he's as been, well he's, he? he's done well there another player i wasn't too sure of but you know again Ancelotti's he's coached him well and he's, he's done well this season so plenty of good players everton have so uh, you know we'll, we'll look forward to that game but yeah target fantastic uh emmy martinez carl mentioned there we were going to talk about him and do some stats around him but we've sort of run out of time a little bit so we'll save that for for the next part if that's all right aj but again yeah, no problem, mate. Another, another good player let's hope he has a quiet day on, on saturday so we don't have to uh, doesn't Tyler. doesn't matter if he has a quiet day or not, mate. Uh, you'll see when we talk about the stats. He's just uh, he's unbelievable. So, he's unbelievable. Uh, he's unbelievable. Yeah. Ooh, keep him, lovely keep little him. preview there. Lovely preview. Keep, keep him little teaser. Keep him little busy. Teaser. Little keep teaser. Keep him busy. Yeah. He'll still keep it out. 
All right. Well, thanks, boys. That was a really enjoyable part. I said a short and sweet, but there's just so much to talk about. So much has happened over the last week, Villa related, that uh, we tried to cover as much ground as we possibly could. Um, but thanks uh, to the boys for, for their time. Uh, really excellent insight as always. Um, good to chat things through. Uh, we'll be back probably on Sunday or Monday for the review show, uh, the uh, post-match pre- review with with uh, Chadzi and Jugzi. Uh, and then back next week, obviously, with with, the, with these boys as well for our next pre-match social where Emmy Martinez stat breakdown will be in full flow. So look forward to that. Thanks again for listening. Thanks to the boys for the time. Please do follow and subscribe to our pod if you haven't already. And please do follow us on Twitter at Villa Podcast, all one word. Uh, thanks again and uh, up the villa. Up the villa. Up the villa. I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it.